0: Open your Bibles tonight to Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43. I'm not going to preach long tonight, but it is going to be powerful. Amen. So buckle up your seatbelt, get your Bible, get something to write on, and let me read Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 and 2. But now, thus saith the Lord that created, created thee and formed thee, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by name. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not Overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Can you say amen? amen? Tonight, I want to give you four ways to keep it together when it seems like everything is falling apart. Four ways to keep it together when it seems like everything is falling apart. Now, if I were to give it a second title, I would say, Overcoming the Shake, Rattle, and Roll of Your Life. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, he gonna, you're going to learn how to overcome the shake, rattle, and roll in your life. Tell them on both sides. I got this in the hotel room this afternoon. Must have been the enchiladas. <clears throat> Four things. Write these things down tonight. Number one. Consider the bigger picture. Yeah. Write that down. Consider the bigger picture. Everybody goes through storms. You do, I do, we all do. Everybody, everybody faces storms. It is said that in the Christian life, you're either in the middle of a storm, or you're just coming out of a storm, or you're just about to go into one. <laughs> Have you noticed that life is so daily? <laughs> it just happens. Life is happens you never know what's going to happen next but consider the bigger picture everyone faces storms jesus himself faced storms the disciples faced storms one day jesus said to his disciples get into the boat and go across the lake to the other side go over to the other side and when he said go over it meant they could not go under And the way Jesus handled storms was he got a pillow and went to the back of the boat and found a nice place to lay down and take a nap. The other men who were sea veterans and certainly knew how to handle rough waters were in charge of the ship when the wind began to blow a little harder and a little harder and the waves began to lap up against the boat. It wasn't long till the wind was blowing very hard and big waves were coming in and the boat was about to capsize. And somebody remembered, hey, Jesus is in the boat. He's asleep. Let's wake him up. And they waked him and began to blame the storm on him. <laughs> Have you ever blamed God for something? Now look straight ahead. Don't look to your right or left. <laughs> Jesus, don't you care? They blame the problem on God. How many times do we Christians blame the situation on God? When God's not responsible, Jesus has said, let us go over. He didn't say, let's go under. He said, let's go over. over. Jesus, don't you care that we're about to drown? You know, aren't you glad, however, that Jesus will let you talk? You know, you can talk now and repent later. (laughs) He lets you empty yourself of all that junk that's on the inside. He lets you talk. But Jesus went into action. The Bible says that he got up from where he was asleep. He walked to the bow of the ship. He put out his arms. said, peace be still. And suddenly, there was a great calm. You see, Jesus knew something that they didn't know. He knew. There was something on the other side. There was a demoniac who was running through the tombs naked. They had chained him and they couldn't hold him down. Jesus had a mission. Jesus had a purpose. And sometimes we, we, we Christians believe that when we're in a storm, we must be out of the will of God. Well, Jesus was in the boat, so they couldn't have been out of, out of the will of God. Consider the bigger picture. Jesus knew something was on the other side. Number two, acknowledge God is still in control. Now, in this control freak society that we live in, when everyone is obsessive about being in control, we need to acknowledge the fact that God is in control. He's in the left seat, not the right. We're not the pilot. He's the pilot. Acknowledge that God is in control. Paul told them, don't sail. It's too late in the season to be out on the Mediterranean Sea. But the Roman soldiers were anxious to get home. And they wanted to deliver Paul and the 200 and something others that were on the ship. And so they set sail anyway. Even though Paul had warned them not to do it. And they got out on the sea, and the Bible calls it a contrary wind that came against them. Have you ever faced a contrary wind when it just seemed like everything contrary was coming at you? Look at me, is it true? Six of you, okay, the rest of you are lying. (laughs) And suddenly that contrary wind became what people in that part of the world called, called cyclonic. It was almost at hurricane strength in the middle of the Mediterranean, at the wrong time of the year. You talk about being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. And for days, the Bible says, they saw neither sun nor stars. They did everything they could do. They lashed down everything they could, and then they threw it all overboard. To try to lighten the load of the ship, and they had to put the sail down and let the ship just run. They didn't know what to do. But the Bible says an angel stood by the Apostle Paul and told him what was going to happen. He said, you're going to lose the ship, but no life will be lost if you stick together. United we stand. Divided we fall. America, wake up. Wake up, America. Come together. You notice that Jesus told the disciples, at one point to come to an upper room and come into unity, come into harmony, come into one accord. And he wasn't talking about a Toyota. Come into one accord. I don't know how long it took for those men and women to come together, but if they were typical of Christians, it took a while. Because we are the most critical people on earth. It seemed like the devil's crowd is always walking arm in arm, but we Christians, we, we're too busy fighting. We're too busy worried about somebody else's doctrine. You know, that's how denominations were begun in the first place. I didn't agree with your doctrine, so I'll go start my own thing. You don't agree with my doctrine, you start something over here. That's, that's how denominations came yeah. into being. Yeah. And some of them are just deader than a doornail. Yeah. Now, that's dead. <laughs> Acknowledge God is in control. Paul said God is in control of this thing. Stick together. Stay on the boat. Amen. And they had a faith landing. It wasn't pretty. They swam to shore on pieces of the ship, but they landed. And if you study the Bible, you'll find that while they were on that island, Paul was bringing healing to the sick through faith, while Luke, who was on board, was curing them medically. You had the Apostle Paul praying and you had Luke practicing medicine and people were getting healed and cured and delivered. And did you know that, that uh, the, uh, according to statistics, the number one Christian nation per capita in the world is Malta. There are more Christians per capita in Malta than any other nation. And even today, they still have a St. Paul celebration and a St. Paul day because of what he did. Malta was not his destination. It was a stopping place along the way. His destination was Rome. So he couldn't die on the sea because he had to get to Rome. So he could light the light of the gospel even in the household of Caesar. Amen. Acknowledge that God is in control. But we want to be in control of everything. We need to let it go. And give it to God. Acknowledge that. That he is in control. Acknowledge everything is in his hands. Number three. Praise God right in the middle of the storm. Now that's hard to do. When Paul and Silas were in jail, they had been whipped, they had been beaten and chained up. And yet in the middle of jail, they praised God. Now they didn't praise him for the whipping that they got. But in the middle of it, they praised God. You don't have to thank God for the storm, but in the midst of the storm, start praising him. Why? Because he inhabits, he lives in the praises of his people. Right in the middle of the storm, begin to praise him. The doctors told Lindsay when she was 18 years old, she'd never be able to have a child because she was diagnosed with endometriosis. And that generally means you can get pregnant, but you can't stay pregnant. And in our early marriage, she had several miscarriages and it looked like the doctors were correct. But Kenneth Copeland prophesied over her and said, you'll have children sooner than you think. Well, it did not look like we were going to have children at all. And we wanted children. And she became pregnant again. I think it was her third or fourth pregnancy, as I recall, or fourth, I believe. And uh, lo and behold. She carried the child all nine months and delivered the most beautiful baby boy. We named him Richard Oral, perfectly healthy. He developed a breathing problem and a staph infection in the hospital. And within 36 hours, he died in my arms. Now, it's pretty hard to praise God when you're holding a dead baby in your arms. And it seemed like our whole world had come to an end. But as I held that child in my arms in the intensive care, the neonatal intensive care unit, my wife and I began to, oh, atanaka sombra atanakasombrakasa. We began to praise God. God, we worship you and praise you. you. You know something, God. You know something that we don't know. And at the memorial service, I stood up and said, even if you slay me, yet will I trust you. And I will praise you in the midst of that storm, even though our hearts were broken. We decided we would praise God. That's when you find out what you're really made of. That's when you find out if you're really a Christian. That's when you find out if you really believe God. And one man walked up to Lindsay at the memorial service and said, I prayed that that baby would die because I had been remarried to her. Some people can be so cruel. The devil gets into people and they say cruel things. And it broke our hearts that someone could actually say that in our face. And we put the little body of that boy in the ground. And sang and worshipped and praised God. Even as the tears flowed. Two weeks later I was scheduled for a crusade in Africa. And I had planned to go alone because Lindsay was to be home with a new baby. And I came to her and I said, honey, I, I'm not going to go. I'm going to stay here with you. She said, oh, no, you're going. And she said, besides that, I'm going with you. Yeah. I said, honey, you, you, you've just had a baby. We just had a funeral. You, you can't. She said, I'm going. I'm going with you. She said, our healing is in Nigeria. And we began to sing and worship and praise God in the midst of the loss. And we got to Nigeria not having any idea that Nigeria has the largest infant mortality rate in the world. And we ministered to so many couples who had lost children like we had. We had great crowds and we had miracles and we had thousands of thousands and thousands of salvations in three different cities, three nights each. And she had put her finger in my face before we left the United States and said, don't you ever ask me to get pregnant again. And who could blame her? Three miscarriages and a dead child. Who could blame her? But after Nigeria, she said, let's try one more time. <laughs> Jordan's 35. Catherine Olivia is 33. Oh, yeah. Chloe is 30. They might not appreciate me telling their age. (laughs) But it emphasizes the point. Right in the middle of all of that, we praised Him. We worshiped Him. And God turned the tables on the devil. Right in the midst of the storm. And number four. If you missed one, if you missed two, if you missed three don't miss this. The best is yet to come. Turn to your neighbor and tell him the best is yet to come. The city of Samaria had been shut up. The Syrian army was encamped outside its gates. You couldn't get in. You couldn't get out for days, for weeks, for months. There was no food. There was no water. The people in the city had taken to boiling the flesh of their own children to survive. Elisha, the prophet, was in the city. He was in the midst of it as well. They were besieged by the Syrian army, a much more powerful force than they could ever mount. It looked like it was over. And Elisha strolled down the main street one day and said, What cost you $100 today will cost you a penny tomorrow. And one of the leaders said, it'll never happen. Elisha, quick as a flash, looked at him and said, oh yeah, it'll happen. And you'll even see it, but you won't eat any of it. There's always the skeptic. The world is full of skeptics. The skeptics say that it's impossible for the bumblebee to fly. Its wingspan is too short for its body. But they forgot to tell the bumblebee. And the bumblebee flies and makes a little honey on the way. Always have the skeptics. You always have those people who say it can't be done. There's always those who will say, and you can't do it. And you're not supposed to do it. And you never will be able to do it. You always have that crowd. They're always out there. And if you're doing something from God, I guarantee you the devil is going to send those kind of people around you. Well, don't hate them, don't kick them, don't shoot them. <laughs> Forgive them and give them to God. Yeah. But you have those people always. Yeah, that's right. There were four men who were sitting at the gate. They were lepers, AIDS of the day, and they looked at each other and said, "If we if we sit here, we're going to die." If we go into the city, we're going to starve. Why don't we strike a blow for our own deliverance? And they got up. The Bible says it was at dusk. And dusk is a time when it's hard to see clear. It's neither day, it's neither night. At dusk. And they started marching toward the enemy army. Now you talk about a crazy sight. Here are four lepers... The city has been besieged. All the people inside are starving to death. And these four lepers get up and start walking toward the enemy. And there's a time in your life when you've got to step out in faith. And believe that somehow, some way, God is going to make a way where there seems to be no way. That God can take the situation and turn it around for his glory and for his goodness and mercy. And they started a faith march toward that Syrian army camp. And somehow, I don't know, by some supernatural miracle, God began to multiply the sound of their footsteps. So much so that the Syrian army began to scream and cry out in the night. They've hired a mercenary army. The Hittites have come against us. we got to run for our lives. And the whole Syrian army began to run, and they left behind all their food stores. They left behind all their riches. They left behind all their tents. They left behind all their weapons. They left behind everything that they had. And when the four uh, lepers came into the little camp, everybody was gone. And they looked and saw the enchiladas, and they saw the pizza, and they saw the filet mignon, and they saw the Kentucky fried chicken. And the mashed potatoes and gravy. They saw it. And they began to gorge themselves. When one of them said, this isn't right. We need to let the people in the city know. And soon the people were coming. And in their exuberance to get out there, they trampled that man who had said it'll never happen. And he died. Don't mess with God's plan. Don't mess with what God's trying to do. Don't tell somebody it'll never happen. Because I've got news, you're not God. Right. And you don't know the end from the beginning, but he does. Yes, sir. Right. Don't discourage anyone, encourage them. Yes. It bothers me so much when I see somebody praying for the sick and it looks like nothing happens. And, and they say, well, I guess you must not have had any faith. I just want to slap them. When it looks like, when I pray for somebody, it looks like nothing happens. I say, now look, I'm standing with you in faith. I'm not quitting, I'm not giving up. I'm holding on until the manifestation comes, until the miracle happens. The city was set free. Elisha's prophecy came to pass. What cost a dollar one day cost a penny the next day. Suddenly they had all the food, they had all the water, they had all the armaments, they had the tents, they had all the riches, they had everything. I got news, friends. The best is yet to come. The best. Turn to your neighbor and say, the best is yet to come. Tell them it's not over. It's not the ninth inning yet. The best is yet to come. God is not finished with you. He's not finished with you. He's not finished with you. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he'll do that for the people in Samaria, if he'll do that for Lindsay and me, if he'll do that for Paul and the apostle and and Luke and the others on that ship, if he'll do that for the disciples in the boat, if he'll do that for them, them, he'll do that for you. And I declare to you that the best is yet to come. Well, how do we get the best? We use our faith. God hath given to every man, every woman, the measure of faith. And faith is what you hold on to until you receive what you're believing for. Mm. What are you believing for tonight? Health? Finances? Family? Children? Relationships? What are you believing for? What is it that God has put in your heart? And something has come against you. And there's a storm that's raging. Are you saying, don't you care? We're about to drown. Or are you saying an angel has stood beside me. And we're going to make it through. Because we're going to stand in faith together. I stood there in that room on the 17th floor after the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I've called you to 40 nations and you've only been to 15 When he said that to me, there was such a peace that came. I knew it, but I'd forgotten it because of the storm. Because the storm jostles your memory. It messes with your insides. When the storm comes, that's when you start praying in tongues. And God begins to give you revelation and he speaks to you. You haven't done yet what I've told you to do. You're not gonna die in this. I'm gonna keep you. Overcoming the shake, rattle, and roll. Because we all face it. All of us. Every one of us faces it. Life's storms happen, things happen. Sometimes we fall. Not important about the fall. What's important is that we get back up. I was in a shopping mall, which is something that I rarely do, (laughs) and um, there was a, a man who came walking by. He was in a white suit, a white shirt with a white tie. He had on white shoes, a white hat, and a white cane. And he was coming down the aisleway between the stores, dancing, walking, strutting. And I saw that he was going to take the escalator down. And so I followed him. And he strutted all the way down about halfway on the escalator when suddenly he slipped. And he fell. And because he was going down, he began to turn somersaults. And he somersaulted his way all the way to the floor down. I'm not sure if anybody else saw him, but I saw it. And I wondered what he would do when he hit the bottom. You know what he did? He got up, put his hat back on, picked up his cane, and said, Well, all right. Well, all right. Now, that's the right attitude. Everybody say, well, all right. He's not letting the storm get you down. That's you taking control. That's you using your faith. That's you believing God. That you saying, devil, you can't have me. Devil, you can't have my family. Devil, you can't have my finances. Devil, you can't have my body. No, you can't have me. In the name of Jesus, devil, get the hell out of my life. Yes, yeah. Amen. Don't tell me I can't say it. I just did. <laughs> Praise God. Yeah. Hallelujah. Consider consider the bigger picture. Acknowledge God in your life. Praise him in the midst of the storm. And don't forget, the best is yet to come. And you know, the cream always rises to the top. When I was a boy, we lived on a farm and we had two milk cows. I may have told this story here before, but my mother and I would go down, and she would let me, when I got old enough, she let me milk the cow. And I loved doing it, sitting under with a little stool, milking the cow. And we'd take that jug of milk and put it in the barn refrigerator. And the next morning, we'd come down, I'd bring my little red wagon. Any of you remember little red wagons? We used to have a little red wagon. Amen. And I'd pull the red wagon behind me, and she'd get the milk, and I'd put it in my wagon, and we'd take it back to the house, which is about a quarter of a mile. And uh, she'd put that milk in there, and she'd look at me and she say, Son, look, look, the cream has risen to the top. I'll never forget it. And she let me taste it. And she would say, Son, that's the best part. The best is yet to come. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We have a special offer available for you. Just click on the link for more information. And don't forget to subscribe and turn on your notifications. We'll see you next time here at Richard Roberts ORM.